You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. We've got some work to do. We've got a bit of a lengthy passage to work our way through. And kind of as we walk through a book of the Bible, we'll come to passages sometimes that are challenging, sometimes that are encouraging, sometimes that are different things to different people. And sometimes they come at strange times. One day I was preaching uh, and uh, at a church where I was serving as interim, and I came to his Mother's Day, and the passage dealt with hell. So I went for it, and... Uh, kind of regretted it after that, but, uh, but so today is not as bad, but sort of there. We're talking, the series is Jesus, the one and only. That's what we're talking about, is Jesus, the one and only. But today's message is about food, money, and God, and I'm calling it Welcome to the Holidays. Because it's about fasting and giving, and in a time when we're not thinking about fasting and giving. But fasting and giving remind us that God owns it all. Separation from food and separation from money, not something we're thinking about the week of Thanksgiving, Separation of food and money teach us to rely on God. But at the same time, I think maybe looking at this, the day, the week before Thanksgiving and the week before Black Friday might be a good thing. I'm not going to read the passage at the beginning because it's a lengthy passage. We're going to walk our way through it. We'll read the whole passage. We'll just do it as we walk our way through it. We're going to demonstrate, we're going to talk about how we demonstrate our heart for God by our inner motivation and our view of food and money. Now we're entering a season of gratitude and gluttony, of generosity and greed all wrapped into a six-week period from now until the new year. So as we walk through that, it's a season to reflect on gratitude, right? We actually will have, uh, my daughter just flew back last night from uh, college. My, my oldest daughter's in Canada, so uh, the Canadians don't celebrate Thanksgiving because it's a communist dictatorship up there. Um, Sorry, I'm just kidding. They do have earlier Thanksgiving, which makes a little more sense, actually. But, um, but my, so some of the family would be together, and I forced them, because that's what parents do, to all say something they're thankful for about one another around the Thanksgiving table. So that's good, right? We want to do those things. Um, yet, on the brink of Thanksgiving and looking into Christmas, we have these verses. So we can talk about Thanksgiving. We can talk about gratitude. We can talk about giving. In a season, there'll be a lot of gift giving. Our passage really breaks down into two sections. The first section deals with fasting. The second section deals with money. And it's perfect because you're going to eat a lot and spend a lot in the next few weeks. So let's dive in. Fasting and giving remind us that God owns it all. Separation from food and money teach us to rely on God. Number one of our two-point outline, there's a lot of sub-points in this. So if you're a note-taker, buckle up. We're going to cover a lot of ground together. Number one, food and fasting reminding ourselves that God is first. Food and fasting reminding ourselves that God is first. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us about three of the most common elements, just for the full context, of piety in the first century Jewish tradition, right? First was almsgiving, and we talked about that. Then prayer, and we talked about that. 
Now he turns to fasting. Remember, three most common ways that people would show piety in first century Judaism, right? Now, nowhere in the Bible is there given a specific number of days that we should fast. Uh, nowhere in the Bible is it given certain days of the week that we should fast. But it's clear that the early Christians fasted regularly. The Didache, which was, is an early Christian document written uh, probably around the time the book of Revelation was, or maybe before that, actually talks about fasting regularly. So Christians did it then, and I think it's good to do now. Fasting happens for a specific reason and generally for a limited amount of time. Look with me at Acts 13. It's on your screen, verses 2 and 3. We won't turn to them all for the sake of time. Leave your Bible open to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll walk through that. But Acts chapter 13, you can see it says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so they're actually intentionally participating in a fast, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So fasting for clarity from God, uh, fasting for uh, purity of heart are all part of this. And by the way, I would tell you that um, two centuries ago, and actually not that long ago, a century ago, uh, American presidents would actually declare days of prayer and fasting at particularly different difficult times in the nation. We kind of moved away from those things, and I think that's a loss. But fasting for us is an opportunity to demonstrate our heart for God by our inner motivation and our view of food and money. So remember, almsgiving, prayer, with this big parentheses when we gave the Lord's Prayer, and we spent a lot of time on that, but we're still in Matthew chapter 6 where the theme was almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, three marks of piety in the first century. And all of these are to be motivated by our devotion to God rather than our outward activity. Outward religion is what Jesus is teaching against in Acts 6. Outward religion without inward relationship leaves you spiritually dead inside. So let's jump right in. Hopefully you've opened up to Acts chapter 6, and we're going to begin Acts chapter 6, verse 16, and we'll just walk through it. Remember, I told you we're going to walk through it. So we're going to look at three things about fasting, and then three things uh, about giving. Uh, First is the hypocrisy we evade. We're going to evade some hypocrisy if we follow Jesus' teaching, because our Father condemns, Jesus teaches against, religion that's fake. So here's the fakeness that we see. And when you fast, this is Matthew chapter 6, okay, Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, remember, it was weeks ago, because we had this big parenthesis when we went through the Lord's Prayer together, but weeks ago, we were talking about people who would announce their giving. Remember that? They'd announce their giving before others. They announce their praying before others, and now don't announce your fasting before others. They disfigure their faces and fasting. They may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received your reward. A couple of key things. First, Jesus says, when you fast. So there's the assumption that you will be fasting. So when you fast, right? The principle here Jesus gives applies to any spiritual discipline, as we saw with giving and with prayer, right? We discipline ourselves for godliness because of what God has done in Christ, because we want to be closer to God, not to be seen by people, Right, so uh, it says, you know, when they, when they, it says they don't look gloomy, they disfigure their faces. Um, these are all things that people would do. Their goal was to look gaunt. Now, I know that this would seem strange to you because we would never fast and try to look worse 
as if you were fasting. Uh, but part of the reason you would never do that is you're familiar with this passage. But if you weren't familiar with this passage, you might say, look, I'm fasting, and I am really want everyone to know. Um, and hypocrites would actually emphasize their fasting to look pious, super pious, right? And the gospel, in the gospel, Jesus instead showed great compassion for the marginalized, and he confronted religious hypocrites as we see here. So the hypocrites had changed their scorecard. They wanted to see, be seen by men rather than seen by God. Let's jump forward in the book of Matthew. Matthew 23, 28 says, So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's what Jesus is teaching against in all areas of our life. So he's just given three examples in Matthew chapter 6, right? Almsgiving, you know, giving, giving to the poor, a prayer, and here fasting, all of which are good things that can be done in the wrong way. And here's the thing I really uh, want you to see. They're making a trade. It's a clear trade, right? Clear, a clear trade for the praise of men rather than the affirmation that comes from God. And I really want you to see this, right? It's a trade that leaves you spiritually dead inside. It's a trade that leaves you, leaves you spiritually dead inside. So we demonstrate our heart for God by our inner motivation and our view of food and money, but outward religion without inward relationship leaves you dead inside. So we started first looking at fasting with the hypocrisy we evade. The second thing is the humility we exhibit. It's a good thing to exhibit this kind of humility, right? So our Father delights in humble faith. So again, we demonstrate our heart for God by our inner motivation, our view of food and money. And we see this in the next part of the passage, right? So look at verse, um, the, the next verse here says that you're fasting, but when you fast, verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, um, that your fasting may be seen by others, uh, and that, but not be seen by others, excuse me, but by your father who is in secret. Our outward appearance, and there was an oil that people would put on their head, and people do in some cultures and contexts still today, um, and in doing so, it, it brings a sense that you are ready to be seen uh, by others. Not in a worldly, I want to be affirmed by them, but I'm, I'm going out now. I might not do that at home. I'm going out now. So the hypocrites did it backwards, right? They went from the outside in, where Jesus is calling them to go from the inside, fasting secretly before the Lord, out, making sure that people can't tell because you've taken care of your outer appearance. So outward appearance should reflect an inward condition of the heart that seeks God's glory and not our own. Let me say it again so you don't miss it. An outward appearance, our outward appearance should reflect an inward condition of the heart that seeks God's glory and not our own. So it's not that the outward appearance doesn't matter. The point is don't try to look like you're doing your fasting so people will, will notice, right? Because that's, I mean, we want that to reflect God's glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, right? So, so, so God has made us, created us, right? And more. So fasting from food is very common in scripture. Uh, it's very serious uh, because we have to have food to live, but it's within the principle of fasting to say that you obtain, abstain from other things for a season to be more focused on your walk with God. Now, um, why do we do that? Let me, let me give a couple of examples. So I have, um, I have prayed and fasted for uh, short periods of time and for extended periods of time. And the, I've actually fasted seeking the Lord direction and clarity on one issue and uh, fasted for 
Uh, again, I'm telling you this a decade after it happened. So, and I've got, I'm not fasting right now. I had a delicious breakfast this morning. I thought you should know. Because um, it seems that if I was fasting, I wouldn't want to tell you. So let me tell you the opposite. But fasted for, uh, for 21 days, uh, seeking the Lord for his direction. Um, and uh, just water for 21 days, seeking the Lord for his direction. Now, again, if you do something like that, you should consult your doctor. There are other factors that go into that as well. But I will tell you, it was one of the most clarifying times spiritually of my life. Every time I was hungry, and you, your hunger goes away after a while, um, every time I was hungry, I would go to the Lord. And every time I felt the call to food, I would make it a call to worship. And it focused me, and I got the clarity that I Don and I got the clarity that we needed. And sometimes people fast for a day. It's not an uncommon thing to fast for a day. Uh, sometimes people fast at the beginning of the year. Increasingly, I see churches saying we're going to have a multi-day fast at the beginning of the year, fasting and praying for God to be at work. I, I, I love the fact that in the past our nation would fast and pray and, uh, and pray for maybe, maybe we can fast and pray for an end to this pandemic and more. So we see that the hypocrisy we evade and then the humility we exhibit, and thirdly, the honor God extends. Our God honors sincere faith. The honor God extends. And here's what it says, right, in the very next verse, so the second part of verse 18, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, early Christians generally, uh, there were times they did extended fast, but that's not the norm. So the fact that I've done one extended fast in my life, that long, that long, I've done some longer um, than a day, but never another one for 21 days. I have people who uh, deeply love the Lord that I just know they've gone through a 40-day fast and, and just to see how God has worked in life. It's a beautiful thing. Um, most Christians in the early New Testament time would fast for a day. As a matter of fact, Friday was not an uncommon day of fasting. Um, and sometimes it was Wednesday and Friday they would fast to kind of focus on the things of the Lord. And this promise was often in their mind. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And this is not surprising to us, right? Look at James 4, 6. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, of course, this would be the way our Lord would work, right? Is that when we, in humility and in secret, choose to fast, uh, we do so in a way now that, that glorifies God and emphasizes um, our humility, which God indeed speaks to and through. Authentic and humble uh, faith um, cannot just live in us unless we die to ourselves, right? So this is a recurring theme, right? So remember, outward religion without inward relationship leaves you dead inside. So Jesus is giving us three examples in Acts chapter 6. Right? Fasting and giving reminds us that God owns it all. We're just talking about fasting. God owns it all. So all the food you receive, all the food you're blessed with, hopefully uh, at Thanksgiving. People who don't say grace every day at Thanksgiving, they tend to say grace. There was an article in USA Today on Thursday talked about the benefits of saying a, a moment of Thanksgiving. Of course, nowadays they kind of said it doesn't have to be religious, but, but, but saying a moment of Thanksgiving. And I just say, let's Let's thank the Lord for, not all of you will celebrate in the same way. Some of you will not participate in Turkey. Some of you will do the right thing and actually have steak on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Turkey is gross. But anyway, another story for another day. Steak at our house. Um, but we'll pause and thank the Lord. And then on days of fasting, we'll pause and thank the Lord and focus on the things of the Lord. Fasting and giving remind us that God owns it all. Separation from food and money teach us to rely on God, which leads us to number two on our outline, mammon and money moving from greed to God's glory. Mammon 
and money. Now, mammon is a term that is actually in this passage in the King James Version. Now, we don't use the King James Version here. We're not against King James Version. We just don't use the King James Version. Uh, when I came, they primarily used, they told me they, used, they primarily used the English Standard Version. That's what I use. But mammon, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, if you hear about mammon, it, mammon is almost always portrayed in a, in a bad way. If you're a reader of graphic novels, right, the, we used to call them comic books, but if you're a reader of those, you'll know mammon is a character in like three or four major comics, and, and often a character of evil. Uh, mammon is seen as a bad thing. Over the years, uh, preachers have actually preached against Wall Street from, uh, from churches like this in New York City and said, you cannot serve God and mammon, and they would specifically point it at Wall Street or Madison Avenue and have something specific in mind. Um, and so mammon is actually related to a Hebrew word. We'll get to that in just a minute. But we're going to talk about money. Um, and I want to talk about money at an odd time, talk about money when hopefully by now you're thinking about Christmas and maybe you're buying Christmas gifts. And if you've read the news, you know that the supply chain is really not good. So you're buying your Christmas gifts now, making it worse for everybody else on the supply chain. Um, so we're walking through the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus talks about money here. You say, Ed, you shouldn't talk about money during the holidays. I get it. Um, let me tell you, Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell combined. So Jesus is unapologetic. I'm unapologetic to talk about money. Money isn't about money itself. It's almost always about something deeper. God doesn't need your money. Some of you are like, I wish I knew that before the offering. <laughs> God, uh, great. Let me just say Calvary needs your money, but, great, but God doesn't need your money. Uh, think about it logically. If God um, created the world, and why in the world would he need your money? He doesn't. He wants you and your loyalty to him. So I'm actually going to, in the second part of my message, encourage you to give more. Now, that might not be true for every one of you, because some of you may have said, well, this is where I am. This is where the Lord's led us. But most people who attend most churches are not giving in ways that reflect some of the principles we're going to see here today. I want you to recognize there's a better possession than money. Jesus is saying that even here, where our motives and practices are right, we're going to see that, um, we still have to deal with the matter of money. So he ties into our practices of almsgiving, remember that a few weeks ago, prayer a few weeks ago, fasting a few moments ago. He ties our use of money to our heart. He ties our use of money to our heart. Now, don't miss this. His audience at this time is not generally toward the rich. Now, I want you not to miss this because you certainly are the wealthy from Jesus, the perspective of Jesus' day. So um, we are wealthy, right? The teaching applies to us just like it applies to them. And there's three things I want us to see when it comes to money. I told you we got a lot to cover today, so we're going to look at direction, illumination, and devotion. Direction, illumination, and devotion. We're going to demonstrate our heart for God by our inner motivation and our view of food and money. So let's take a look first. We're going right through Matthew 6. Money addresses the heart's direction. Where's the heart going? Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. If you've never been to church before, you may have heard that phrase, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, now you might just have learned this is the words of, these are the words of Jesus. That might be new news to you because it's just so intuitively true to us that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. Our focus will be on those things, right? Riches were displayed through clothing and coins in those days. If you had fine, beautiful clothes, moths would get in and eat them. Clothes, right? And then coins, if you had beautiful coins, rust. Now, we don't think our coins don't rust, but then they did. So if you store up those things, clothes, this is, how you, this is what money looks like. Today, it's more like we'd, we'd have cars maybe, maybe you live outside of some parts of the city, or maybe where you live. So we don't have, we don't like just immediately think of the clothes too, clothes too. So clothes and coins were where they displayed their outward wealth. So 2,000 years later, it might be cars, it might still be clothes, it might be where we live and more. And it's literally, don't be in the habit of storing up earthly treasures. In the Greek text, it's actually a play on words. This is written in Greek in the original language. And it's basically, don't treasure for yourselves treasure. Don't treasure for yourselves treasure. Don't make it your heart's desire. This is the most important thing to me. A heart that's focused on wealth leads to a life of hoarding, You'll always looking for more, more money, more access, more influence, more power, more self-righteousness. And in 2,000 years later, we're all rich. We literally um, are in a place that is heated, which is a concept that didn't exist like this 2,000 years ago. We probably all came from homes, which is a concept that not everyone participated in 2,000 years ago. It's a lot to steward, and our default is to fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches. That's why we need this admonishment. Maybe you heard earlier, um, Ryan read our, our pastoral uh, pa- passage of Scripture from 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy, let me just share it with you again. It says, as for the rich in this present age, which I know probably most of you don't feel that you fit that characteristic. Some of you might say, that's me. So you say, okay, that's me. I can, I can acknowledge that. Others are like, I'm not sure that's me. I want you to know that almost all of us, 2,000 years after this passage were written, are immeasurably and impossibly rich to the people who wrote that 2,000 years ago. So this present age, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes in the uncertainty of riches. Now, um, going through financial struggles actually tends to break those things. I, when, when, when we lived here, uh, just outside of New York City, I remember uh, my standing in line with my mom. Uh, we were receiving public assistance, and uh, I remember when she took out food stamps, back when food stamps were, were actual stamps, and she uh, went to pay the clerk, and um, the look of disappointment and uh, disdain on the face of that clerk, still, I'm still reminded of that at times. So, Maybe if you've struggled financially, and some of us have here, or maybe you're struggling financially, and some of us are now, you know that um, it, that breaks down, and there's not a haughtiness in the midst of poverty. And maybe one of the reasons that people who sometimes lack are some of the most likely people to trust and follow Jesus was a key turning point in our life soon thereafter that reality. But people who are rich in this present age can be haughty and can set their hopes on uncertainty of riches. Uh, James K.A. Smith writes a real helpful book. The title actually is, is super. The title is, You Are What You Love. 
You are what you love. Wealth can be a great tool for the kingdom when used for the kingdom. We're not anti-people having money and wealth. I'm anti-people being haughty and setting their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. And I hope that regardless of your financial situation, you might say the same. You know your heart can be connected to your stuff even if you don't have a lot. If you don't have a lot of things, you know your heart can be connected because you're always worried about it. You're always thinking on it, but there's something, actually someone better to think on. First Timothy 6.17, the second part, and Ryan read it earlier, is don't set your mind on riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, maybe that's easier if you're in a financially difficult time. It probably is. But the call for all of us is, whether we have a little or a lot, to set our hope on God who richly, richly, don't miss the word rich, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He gives us heaven. Think about that. He gives us Jesus, forgiveness of our sin. The solution to our heart location is not to try to try harder or give more. The solution is to focus on God's gifts to us, how God has provided to us. Gratitude is the solution to greed. Let me say it again. Gratitude is the solution to greed. He gives us purpose and grace. It changes the location of our heart's loyalty. And when the loyalty of your heart changes, you don't, you're not driven by your treasure, but you treasure Christ. See, maybe if you have no treasure, it's easy to say, well, I have no value in treasure because I have no treasure. I get it, right? Now, that's not an excuse to not provide for your family, to not seek to be a good steward of what you have, but it's how we treat and how we see money. It's not our salvation, Jesus is. And the location of our hope is rooted in Jesus. This frees us to live and give freely and generously out of God's provision in our lives. You see, you can't take it with you, but it appears in some way you can send it on ahead and then ultimately give it to King Jesus in eternity. So we started with, on this section of money, money addresses the heart's direction, right? But let's not end there. Money addresses the heart's illumination. Um, So it's literally, and it's kind of a strange verse in 2,000 years later, we have to understand it a little bit, but we're going to demonstrate our heart for God and inner motivation by our view of money here. Direction, illumination, devotion. Look at verse 22. It says this. I told you we had a lot of passage to work through today. The, the eye is the lamp of the body. I'm going to explain that. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, some of you are immediately saying, maybe we have an optometrist here, is saying, wait a second, the eye is not really the light of the body. Yes, it's, it's a word picture. It's not a, this is not a statement of, this is, this is a common phrase 2,000 years ago that we don't use so much here. And the idea is that the heart and the body's illumination is in darkness by default. When we look at the Father, Instead of wealth for security, we actually let in a clearer sense of light. We're all born with an eye for earthly possessions. The eye guides your life. The richer you are, statistically, actually, the less happy you are. Because a covetous, maybe one of the reasons is a covetous eye is in darkness. Okay, now, now it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. I, I know, you know, I, I, I lead the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Part of what I do is I ask donors to support the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. And I will tell you that people who do are statistically far more happy than people who don't. So after the service, I'll be available in the back. I'm kidding. Um, but 
some of you hear me say that and say, well, you know, people who have more statistically as a whole are less happy than people who have less. You're like, well, let me try. Let me have more and I'll be the exception. And I, and I, and I, and I get it. And people who have more can walk in great joy and happiness. And I have the privilege of asking people, often we have more, to say, I want you to sacrifice for this. People say, Ed, is it hard for you to ask people to give? No, because ultimately I'm helping them, in my view, to be generous, to see their money as a gift that God has given them, and that to be generous in that actually sheds light into their souls. We would put it today, in their souls. So um, sin is the root problem, not money. I want you to hear that, right? You can be affluent, walk in joy, be generous, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and have a life filled with focus on God. And you can be poor and have all of those things as well. So sin is the root problem. It's not money. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money, when that is the guiding force of your life. It becomes a great darkness inside us, but we have a bright Savior. He opens our eyes to see. Um, and this is why contentment is so key in the life of a Christian. Why do you, you say contentment right before the season of discontent? And I get it, right? Because this year may even be a time where we'll learn that we can't always get what we want. You know, supply chains and more. But contentment is, is a beautiful thing, and it's actually rooted in eternity. Look with me at 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. Continuing, we're going back to 1 Timothy a lot here. But Paul writes to Timothy, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. I remember my mom's voice kind of rings in my ear. Whenever I was younger, um, when I was a kid, I would always say to mom, I'm going to run away. And, you know, we lived out in Levittown at the time, and I said, I'm going to run away. And um, she would say to me, oh, fine, but you brought nothing into this house. We paid for all of your clothes. We paid for all your possessions. So if you run away, you're allowed to. But you can't go with anything. You're just going to have to run away naked. And for like two years, this had me trapped. I can't run away because I have to run away naked. <laughs> I don't know why I fell for that, but I totally did. Um, here's the thing, though. When it comes to the things of God, we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of the world. I told you before how I had a church office across the street from a cemetery, and I've seen hundreds of funeral processions. I've never seen one pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. See, riches can be a snare and a danger. Back to 1 Timothy. It says, but those who desire to be rich, this is 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If you have a lot of money and you are in love with it, I'm calling you today to get right before Jesus. And if you have a little money and you're in love with it, I'm calling for you today to get right with Jesus. It's a craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, why? Because God, God owns it all. And it's just, it must seem so silly to the Lord, our silly angst about some of these things. I have, um, I mentioned my daughter who came home yesterday. Um, I was flying out. She was flying in, so I didn't see her, but I'll be home tonight to see my girl. And um, when we were younger, I... Um, well, not when you're younger now. I love Cheez-Its. I think Cheez-Its are like a real gift from the Lord. Um, you can see I've spent a lot of time with Cheez-Its. Um, Cheez-Its will be prominent at Thanksgiving dinner. Um, 
but my youngest daughter also loves Cheez-Its. Now, so one day she walks into the living room and I may or may not have finished off the last box of Cheez-Its. She's just a little girl. And she says, Dad, you ate all the Cheez-Its. And she was mad. I mean, she was unhappy about this. And you know how it is, a little kid gets this way. And I'm like, you know, but, but Jacqueline, I mean, I could get more Cheez-Its. It's fine. We're not, we don't have any now, but Cheez-Its are not expensive, right? And she's like, Dad, I want Cheez-Its now. And I'm like, Jacqueline, I'm going to go to the store. I could buy so many boxes of Cheez-Its that you won't be able to get into the house. I'll block the door with Cheez-Its, right? There's no, there's no way that I can't get more Cheez-Its. I, I, it's not expensive. I have the money. I am the Lord of the Cheez-Its. All right, I didn't say all that, but I got excited about it. And she got mad. And this is an actual picture of her saying, actual picture, my Cheez-Its, she says, when the Cheez-Its comes back in. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? That's my daughter. She's a college student now. If you Google Cheez-It Girl on Google Images, this picture actually shows up. Um, see, Cheez-Its is like zero big deal for me to get. But for her, she's all freaked out that we're out of Cheez-Its. Can I just tell you, the God of all the universe, money is no big deal. He's got this. He calls us to, to work hard. He calls us to plan. Proverbs is filled with exhortation, admonitions about good use of money. But the reality is, is that the Lord owns it all. And in his wisdom, he actually calls us to be a people who give some of it away. Just like we don't partake in food sometimes, we take some of our money and we give it away. Which leads us to letter C in our outline. Money addresses the heart's devotion. Remember, direction, illumination, and devotion. So here it is, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Our, heart, our heart's loyalty, the illumination of our heart, seems to be against what we can't see, God, towards what we can see, possessions. So we end up naturally enslaved to money, wealth, success, and their counterparts. And if you've lived in New York City for any length of time, you have seen that enslavement very real impact many people. So Jesus uses the analogy of the slave and the master. The master has total control. Money's a bad master. Money's a bad master. It draws you to more. Materialism always conflicts with God's agenda. If you focus on provision, you lose focus on the provider. And we can put this a principle in a lot of different ways, right? A lot of areas of brokenness in your life. You cannot serve God and people, right? Failing to obey God when it might negatively affect a relationship, people-pleasing. You cannot serve God in security, defending your standard of living uh, more than living out the truths of the gospel. You cannot serve God in comfort, being unwilling to have that difficult conversation or take that step of faith. But when the master idea is everywhere, but money will seek to be our master, enslaving us to fear and our heart is freed when we give to find a new loyalty for Christ. So literally, I'm encouraging you today to be separated from some and perhaps more of your money. And maybe this is the first time you came to church. You're like, every time I come to church, they're talking about money. <laughs> I think it's the first time. I've been in the interim over a year. First time. Um, but here it is. These are Jesus' words. 
And the reminder throughout the pages of Scripture is, is that our riches are found somewhere else. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty, that through his poverty you might become rich. That you through his poverty might become rich. In other words, you can't separate material possessions from this understanding of the gospel. And these passages seem to point to us that God, who owns it all, who provides food and provision financially for us, then calls us to separate ourselves from those at times through fasting away from food and giving away from money. And in doing so, it reminds us of where our heart loyalty is. And, and I will tell you, one of the things we have right now, we have our, uh, our, our last mile offering that we're doing right now here at Calvary. That's a wonderful opportunity for you to say, I'm going to participate and I'm going to give. And in doing so, I'm going to have the opportunity to be blessed. The final mile campaign. So you have the opportunity to, to participate and say, I want to be a part of this. So, so I say, God doesn't need your money. I did joke that Calvary does need your money. But I don't know where the Lord's called you to give. This is a wonderful place to do so. If this is your church home, the final mile campaign. But here's what I want to say to all of you. The Lord wants to separate you occasionally from food to remind you that he's the provider of all. And he wants to separate you from some of your money so you are reminded that he owns it all. We demonstrate our heart for God by our inner motivation and our view of money. We can give to our church, we can give to the poor, we can give to others, but it's a reminder of the gift that God has given you. And it helps loosen your grip on money. It helps loosen your grip on money. And that's one of the greatest gifts that the Lord has given us. Years ago, Donna and I were, there was a flood where we lived, like a 21-inch rain um, flood. It was a thousand-year flood. Uh, uh, a couple dozen people died. Whole neighborhoods were flooded. And uh, for us, we had this minivan. And I'm giving this example knowing I'm losing my reward in heaven by giving you this example. But... Um, we really loved that minivan, and the minivan had served us well. And, but this church planner, his name is Jeremy, you'll never meet him, but his name is Jeremy. Um, Jeremy lost everything in the flood, and his cars and everything. And, and for that reason, Don and I were just praying, and that morning, both of us just, we, I think we discussed it. It wasn't separate. Like, we both discussed it and said, we need to give, we have two cars, they have no car. We need to give that minivan to them. And I will tell you, it was an inconvenience for a season, but it just felt like, our possessions had less of a hold on us, and God had a greater hold on us when we let go. I really think that's a thing. We demonstrate our heart for God by our inner motivation, our view of food and money. Fasting and giving reminds us that God owns it all. Separation from food and separation of money teach us to rely on God. So I want to encourage you to, <laughs> I recognize right at the holiday season, um, say, Ed, should we not buy presents? I'm, I'm not against that. Um, you know, I, one of the things that we do as a family is we never buy a present for someone else in the family that's larger than what we give to the Lord for what's called international missions. We have this missions offering in my denomination around Christmas time for international missions. So we, we consistently say, if somebody gets a gift that's worth this, we are going to give more to the spread of the gospel around the world or in and around Thanksgiving, to not just remember our family and our turkey, or our steak, but also to remember the poor, as we see the very words in the New Testament mentioned as well. So my encouragement to you is this. 
to see that God literally separates you from food and money to remind you that he is better, he is worth more, and that when you loosen your grip on both, you can tighten your grip on the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that by your grace and your goodness you've redeemed us, called us by name, sent us on a mission for your name's sake. And Lord, thank you for food. And many of us will be blessed to partake in this week for Thanksgiving festivities. Uh, thank you for resources that many of us, all of us are blessed probably at some level. Many of us are blessed at greater levels. Help us in both of those cases to literally remember that Jesus talks about separating ourselves from food and separating ourselves from money to remember who indeed is the source and the provider of all things. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, I recognize I've gone a little long in my sermon, so please forgive me. Um, but just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, I wonder if in this moment how the Lord might be reminding you that literally separating yourself from food through fasting and separating yourself from some of your money through giving loosens your grip on the things of the world. So what is it the Lord is calling you to do even now? Maybe a time of fasting in the next few weeks or months. Maybe I mentioned giving to our final mile campaign. Maybe that's the place we're stepping in, beginning to proportionally give to tithe, to maybe to give to the poor, to global missions. Whatever it might be, would you respond to the prompting of the Lord Jesus today who lays before us a stark reality that sometimes our, heart, our eyes and our hearts are too focused on the things of today, food and money. And by separating ourselves from them through fasting and giving, we can see you glorified more deeply and privately and personally without making a show and without telling others. And we might see the grip on those things loosen and our grip on you Titan. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.